I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. fans welcome in this is the crimson corner podcast it's always powered by kslsports.com and i'm your host and youth insider trevor allen i am really excited for today's episode of the podcast have a great guest and we're going to get to it right away he's a guy who coached at utah for two years but probably made the biggest impact in just two short years in program history urban meyer i caught up with him to talk about his time at Utah, as well as what Kyle Whittingham's doing with the program now, the Morgan Scowley situation, and some of the reports that the Pac-12 is going to move their football season to the spring and have a conference-only schedule. Here's my conversation with former Utah head coach Urban Meyer. Really lucky enough to talk to our next guest. He is a guy who made such an impact on Utah's football program in just two short seasons, and now he's gone on to do such great things and to me is one of the best college football coaches of all time. We talked to former Utah head coach Urban Meyer. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great. Great to be with you. So I want to go back first, and I just want to go from, you know, square one. You uh, coached at Bowling Green for two years, obviously turned around that program, and then you were, you were offered and then uh, took the job to coach the youths. What stood out about that job and, and what made you come to Utah to take over the program? Well, we lived in Colorado, Fort Collins, Colorado, for six years, and, and my wife loved it. I loved it. Uh, greatest climate I, to this day, you know, Colorado and Utah are great places to live. <clears throat> we won at uh, Bowling Green, and I started getting a lot of phone calls about job opportunities, and obviously Shelly and I are very close, and I would share them with her, ones that maybe would have in, we would have interest in, and and I really was going to stay at Bowling Green unless the right one came along. And uh, she said, will you go, go please take a look at Utah. And I remember Ron McBride. I, I just had great respect for him because I was there with Earl Bruce and Sonny Lubeck. And I just remember Salt Lake City. But I really had no idea until I got out there and really looked around. And so I talked to Chris Hill and Dr. Matchin at, at an airport. They brought me back out. And it was a Burbage Center that sold me. 
I went through the Burbage Center, and I was at Colorado State, and Colorado State was the best team in the Mountain West at the time. And I know for a fact they had the facilities at Colorado State were nothing close to um, Salt Lake City to uh, University of Utah. And then the night I stayed, I uh, I just drove around. I asked for a car, and I drove around, and I went up on the ridge. Um, I forget the name of that street up there. Uh, Overlook Salt Lake City. Yeah. And I just saw all the light. I just remember staring at all the lights saying, how can we not get 50, 60, 55,000 people in that stadium? But all these people here, we can do this. And that's when I decided I called Shelly and said, I'm going to, like we're going to do this. She said, let's go. You came in the year prior to you coming in. The Utes won five games. You obviously turned it around and doubled the win total. Did you think you were going to get 10 wins out of that team just in your first year as the head coach? No, no, no. You, didn't, you don't even think that way. I, my, I've always taken an approach win one more game than the year before. <clears throat> I had no idea Alex Smith would become Alex Smith. Brett Elliott was our returning starting quarterback. You know, Kyle, we were fortunate enough, Kyle stayed on our staff, and we knew we'd be good on defense just historically. But offense, you had no idea. You know, I had no idea Steve Savoy would turn into be who he was. Paris Warren really was a – I believe was a transfer at the time. So I had no idea. And then uh, – but we started getting pretty good throughout the year, and then Alex caught fire. And uh, his first start, it was against Aaron Rodgers, and we beat Cal. And then we go the next week, he throws for, I believe, 300 yards against Oregon. That's when you're like, wait a minute now, this is legit, legit. And the team got very close, you know. So whenever you have a coaching transition and a new staff's a lot different than the last one, especially when they love their previous coach, like they loved Coach Mack, which they should, uh, it takes a while to warm up to a new staff. But once they did, they were great. Then you obviously go into the uh, next year, your last year at Utah, end up wiping everybody clean, just dominating everybody. I think your guys' closest game was two touchdowns. And and yeah, Alex was, you know, a, a finalist for the uh, Heisman Trophy. I mean, going into that year, when did you think you guys were going to have a really special year? I share this with the – and it's very appropriate for right now what this country is going through. So when I first went to Utah, it was, it was a really – I, it's the most diverse football team I've ever had. You know, you have black, white, Hispanic, and then you have Polynesian, Mormon, non-Mormon. So you're talking about the melting pot. And I had no idea. And I was my association and I, I just have not been around the Polynesian culture very much. And it took me a while. Like it takes all, the first thing I did is I wanted to learn more and respect. So I flew out to Hawaii, actually flew to Samoa to recruit, but also meet with the families because I wanted them to, I wanted to learn about their culture. Uh, I also, I'm Catholic, and I went to a general conference and met Orrin Hatch, and I just studied the Mormon religion because I think that's one of the faults that we all have. I'm not, I'm not saying other people have faults, but all of us. You know, show respect for someone's culture, their background. How? Learn about it. Talk to them about it. If you can, go visit people. And, and what I found, what I walked away from is the Polynesian culture is the most incredible culture, one of the best I've ever been around. I just love those families. And so Morgan Scally and, and uh, Steve Fafita, Steve Fafita was a really struggling player for us, very talented. And I was walking out in a June afternoon, and I'm talking to Morgan Scally, and he goes, Coach, I got to run. We're having a cookout. I said, great. Where are you guys going? He said, we're the whole team is going to a park, and they do it once a week. And I was like, really? 
he said, yeah, I was organized by Steve Fafita, myself. And, and I was like, tell me about it. And all the players go. All barriers are broken down. We're one team. We're the Utah Utes. I get in the car and I call Shelly, kind of emotional. And I said, because that's all we talk about is, you know, building the team and a family atmosphere. Yeah. I said, if I don't screw this thing up, we have a chance to be really good. Because now we're starting to get that love and ownership that you know, great teams have. You went on, dominated everything, and then you went to Florida. But how would you sum up those two years at Utah where you only lost two games? But you also, to me, and I know a lot of fans and, and other media members would agree, you really gave that, that Utah program a shot in the arm to get them onto the map of the college football landscape. Utah is not a good place. It's a great place. And the one thing about Salt Lake City, there's a lot of transient communities. That means that people in and out. Um, I don't want to tell other communities because that's not my business, but I've, I've been places. But the one thing about University of Utah, a lot of generations live there. And so Utah Utes, it's a very powerful uh, fan base. I know they were kind of untapped for a while other than Rick Majerus in, in basketball. But And I kept hearing that Utah is a commuter school, and you can't do this, you can't do that. So my butt would get up at 4.30 in the morning and ride the tracks uh, I did it uh, every weekend for, I don't know, a couple of months. And I would try to sell, not sell, give away tickets to the spring game and sing the fight song. No one knew the Utah man, you know, the, the fight song. I'll bring a cheerleader, bring a mascot, bring a player, and just try to uh, really create some enthusiasm. So Utah should be good. The only, if there's one minor, it's the high school football. There's not enough great players. There's very good players. The quality of players is outstanding. The quantity is not there. So you have to go to California. Other than that, you have everything you need to be a dominant program. When you guys beat Pitt, you guys dominated them. And I had this uh, debate, you know, a, a couple of months ago, and I had Quinton Ganther and Eric Weddle on, and I asked them, did you guys feel gypped playing Pitt? But as you look at it now, do you feel like that, that Utah team could have competed for a national title? Oh, I know so. And you're coming – you're talking to someone who's had some experience in that big game. Mm-hmm. And there's absolutely no doubt that Utah team on any given day could be an anybody in America. You know, could we have sustained and survived a SEC schedule? That's a whole other conversation. Could we survive the Big Ten schedule? You know, and even back then the Pac-12 schedule, because I thought that conference was a little more difficult back then. But uh I, I don't know if you could, but that's you didn't ask me that. You asked me, could on any given day, if we went and played for the national championship, could we compete it? And I believe we could have won. And uh, there's no no doubt in my mind. You obviously coached Alex Smith. He was a guy who signed with Utah as only a, a two-star prospect. And I know coaches look at that with you know a grain of salt. But as you mentioned, Alex was on fire. What was the whole process of getting Alex to where he was and it ended up going on to be the number one pick in the NFL draft? He's a lot like Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was underdeveloped because he was a great high school basketball player. Alex was just a slow developer. You know, he was a real skinny guy. We got there. I didn't know if he could play or not. I remember the first time Dan Mullen and I watched him go through our bag drills. And, you know, we just had concern because we wanted an athletic quarterback back there. And, and But Alex worked. His work ethic is maybe the best I've ever been around. His intelligence is the best I've ever been around. His leadership is tough. I don't think people realize how tough Alex is. I think they do now after they watch that documentary on his injury and his beautiful wife and family. So uh, when Alex 
when the game slowed down for him, and he told me that once at practice, he's such an analyzer, he's such an analytical thinker that he won't pull the trigger on throwing the ball unless he really understands. And boy, when he really understood, uh, I mean, that's he's as good as I've ever been around. So after watching Project 11, I came away absolutely stunned. You probably not as much because I'm sure that you and Alex keep in touch, but just after watching that, seeing everything that he's gone through and still has a chance to play the game, even though his life was on the line at a, a certain point, what were your thoughts as you watched that and then also talking with Alex and him still trying to play the game, even though he went through such a horrible, horrible injury? Well, most of my family watched that, and, and Shelly had tears in her eyes, and, and so did I. I. I did not know that. You know, Alex is very quiet, very, very – He's very uh, – holds things in. And so I would see him at a – we're usually playing a Tahoe golf event in the summer. I would see him and, and once again hang out with him, spend time with him. I would text him. We'd call once in a while. But he's a very private person, so I didn't know the extent. I would hear stories, and I'd text him. I'd call him, and he would always say, Coach, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. Uh, and I actually talked to his mom and dad, too, after that show. and I had no idea. None. Uh, I knew it was serious, but not to that degree. When you were coaching him at Utah, when did you think he was going to be special? Oh, uh, as his first start against Cal, you know, when when he started really playing that way, I didn't know he'd be the number one draft picker. You know, I think he had a great NFL career. I hope he continues to play. But then the Oregon game is when that man, that guy stood up, man, and uh, second start ever against a top twenty-five team, and he was just throwing dots. I mean, he was uh, outstanding, but. Probably the best play, uh, and I'd like to hear what he thinks, is against San Diego State. They blitzed. Uh, it was a free rusher, and he delivered a ball, and he stepped right into the guy hitting him. And that's – you can't teach that. That's You either got that as a quarterback or you don't. That's Tim Tebow, it's J.T. Baradish. You know, that's to me is that's – the number one quality is competitor. Number two is toughness, and Alex Smith is a perfect five on both of those. How cool is it to see uh, Dan Mullen and obviously uh, Brian Johnson? He was a guy who, who was on your roster uh, coaching over at Florida right now. Well, I keep in touch with Brian, and, and uh, Dan Mullen's a dear friend. And there's no bigger fan uh, than the Meyer family for those guys. When you left to go to Florida, the reins were, were handed off to Kyle Whittingham, who's still the head coach now. How do you think that program's trending? Because obviously Kyle took that team to win the uh, Sugar Bowl four years after you guys won your bowl game but they also had to move it from the Mountain West into the Pac-12. How do you think Utah's program is trending now, especially now that they are in a Power 5 conference? Well, I remember Chris Hill, Dr. Hill, myself. That I, we, I'd get very upset uh, on national TV. I can't remember the guy's name, but he would say, you know, we're not a Power 5. Uh, what was it, BCS or non-BCS? Mm-hmm. I think that was a term that everybody used back then. And I used to get so angry saying, well, they don't have, they're not a BCS program. I think, wait a minute, we have better players than most BCS programs. We're a better team than almost all the BCS programs. And I was young and talked a lot back then. So I would come out on the media and say, that's nonsense. We belong in the Pac-10. Uh, I think it was Pac-10 back then, mm-hmm. Pac-12, whatever it was. And Chris Hill and I, you know, we just kept saying we, we need to do this. And then I, would, I told Kyle after I left, I said, be careful what you wish for. I used to have to play. Wyoming, San Diego State, Air Force, and New Mexico, which are all great programs. But you're now playing Oregon, Cal, Washington, USC, UCLA. And I thought it would take him a while, but he's done great. You know, obviously the next step is you got to go win a championship. 
And his players know that. He knows that. But what he's done, you know, I, he's one of the best there is. Schools around the country are going through something that we all would never imagine going through, and that is this whole pandemic and, and just a lot that is going on in our country. Say that you were coaching now. How would you handle not having spring ball and having a really young roster because that's what Kyle's going through right now? Well, people that know me, everything's a panic. Everything's fourth and one. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, I just would be – the number one concern is player safety and welfare. And then the number two is go in. Uh, that's your job description. You take care of your players. That includes on the field, off the field, academics, performance, and most importantly, safety. Uh, but then you got to go win games, and especially when you set a standard like Utah is. you got to win, and no excuses. So I would do everything I possibly can after making sure our players are safe. And that's what I'm sure I haven't really talked to Kyle about it. Um, I ironically talked to Gary Anderson a little bit about it, but and, and I see what Ohio State's doing. I, I don't know. You know, I don't – you know, you got to do what you can, and this is where culture and leadership are going to be a drive of the program because these players have to do so much on their own and football is unlike all due respect to basketball and baseball. Football is a sport that you have to be trained. You can't take time off, really. you got to keep going or your body won't be able to handle the, the stress and the pounding that it takes during uh, training camp in the season. There's rumors out there about the Pac-12 conference moving their uh, college football season to spring. You and I talked before going on. I mean, how do you think that that would be handled? And, you know, what are some of the things you would do if you were in that situation where you're having to play spring and you don't get spring ball? I don't think there's any chance. And when a season's over, if a player plays 2,000 reps, okay, so that's, that's, a, lot of, that's a lot of football, obviously. You know, you're getting 1,000, a, a so – I'm sorry, it's 1,000 reps. So you're playing 1,000 reps. And your body, your shoulders, your neck, your just the fatigue that, especially the high contact positions. Those players, I would not make them do a lot during spring practice because their bodies aren't fully healed from the wear and tear of a season. So from January until March, when you have spring practice, you have to let those bodies heal up. And then in spring practice, you're practicing every other day, not full contact, not like a game, not those practices every day. So I, I just – I can't see how you do that. And then you play a schedule in the spring and what you're going to go back and do them again in the fall. So you're going to play 2,000 reps within like one calendar year. You're not going to do that. You know, I, I don't – you know, I, once again, I've not been asked. Uh, Fox TV, we did something yesterday. and You know, I can't see that happening just because the, the nature of the sport of football. Something that uh, I wanted to ask you is there was some news here surrounding Morgan Scally and what's going on. And, you know, obviously it's well known across the country, but he is now back with the Utah football team as a guy who coached Morgan. Just your, your overall thoughts. Well, when I first heard, uh, obviously Morgan Scally is like a family member to us and we've stayed in very close contact and I text him right away, stayed in touch with him throughout. Um, dove into it a little bit, but, you know, um, I, I can't speak to that situation and I won't because I don't, I'm not educated enough to do that. I am educated enough to speak to who Morgan Scally is as a person because I was very close with him uh, for those two years. I mean, he was my captain. He was my leader. The amount of conversations that we had man to man and 
so much beyond football. I used to do fire signs with him. Uh, that's how much uh, respect I have for him. And, and I love Morgan Scott. I love his family. I love his parents. And uh, so hopefully this all works out. But once again, for me to give opinion of what happened, how it happened, I can't do that. I can just speak to him as a man. How are you liking your gig with Fox? Really like it. I love the guys I work with, Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, Brady Quinn, and Rob Stone are fantastic. I was scared I wouldn't like it, but I, I don't like it. I love it. I love the company. I love the fact that we're competitive for that highly competitive you know, spot, the pregame show, and and I think we got a great future together. Now, future, are you done coaching, or, or do you still have that itch to potentially coach again maybe in a couple of years? I believe I'm done. You know, I, I never, you know, because people just haunt you if you ever make a decision to do something else between myself and our family. But uh, I got two grandchildren now. I just celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary. A lot of life to live. And uh, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. Well, Coach, it's always good to catch up with you. Thank you so much for coming on and, and to talk about your time at Utah. I know, I know that a lot of the U fans are going to enjoy that. All the best and go Utes, man. I really hope you guys enjoyed that. Urban Meyer was so gracious with his time, and as you guys could tell, he truly does love Utah, the program, and also the estate of Utah and Salt Lake City. So a big thanks to him, and always great to catch up with him. And, you know, there were some stories there that I had no idea about. I'm not sure if you guys did, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. You guys will find out more from this interview over at kslsports.com. And that'll do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter at Trevor A Sports or on Instagram at Trevor Allen KSL. And also follow KSL Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's always powered by KSLSports.com. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.